Hey there, dog people of the internet. I'm Sarah Stremming, and this is Cog Dog Radio. Join me as I share my thoughts, experiences, and cases, as I interview experts and answer your questions when it comes to the behavior of the dogs we live and play with. It's a new year, and I have a news flash. Black lives still matter. I'm looking forward in 2021 to not only continuing to donate to causes that I believe in, but also to providing more of a platform for BIPOC voices in the dog world here on Cog Dog Radio. So stay tuned. And I'm here with Marissa Martino of Pause and Reward (laughs) and the Pause and Reward podcast. And we are talking about essentially the difference between tackling symptoms and actually kind of getting at real healing, or I'm just going to say true behavior change. Certainly we could talk about this as it relates to medicine. And I actually think Marissa that our first conversation about this was relating to medicine. Um, Uh And of course it segued into our careers with dogs as everything does. Uh And we just, you and I both are the kind of person that is not satisfied with throwing a pill at something. Mm -mm. And let me be quite clear. I'm pro medication. (laughs) That's not what I mean. I'm pro medication. I don't think it's a last resort for anything. I think it should be a first line of defense in a lot of cases. um, If we're talking about behavior in dogs and people, I mean, I think, you know, everybody should take whatever medication is decided upon with their medical team for whatever issue they're, they're facing. So that's Mm -hmm. certainly not what we mean, but as Marissa was telling me, um, as you were telling me before we got on the call, you had a client the other day, that was just like rattling off symptoms, basically just like started to just rattle off a bullet list of like, and I need you to fix this and this and this and this and this. And it's so easy for us to slip into that way of thinking, to slip into, yes, and I can. And here is your quick fix, your pill for this and this and this and this, right? But it's not, it's not really what either of us want to do. It's not how either of us actually want to operate. So first of all, I think that um, with our clients, we are facing a cultural problem. Um, that we're kind of socialized into thinking that masking symptoms is what getting better looks like. Mm -hmm. That's certainly how, that's certainly been my experience of Western medicine. And I say that with so much respect because Western medicine literally saved my life. So I am all about (laughs) cutting the thing out, throwing the drug at, whatever it is. Yeah. But I also, when I look at my dogs, I think about, you know, now I'm not really talking about medication and I'm not talking about medicine. I am talking about behavior change protocols and procedures that I, that look like symptom masking to me rather than the dog truly getting better. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, we all, we don't want listeners to think that like, 
throwing a management strategy is not the right thing to do, right? I think it depends on the urgency for the client. Mm -hmm. It depends on the urgency for a dear friend of mine, if they're suffering from a medical concern, right? Like if, if, if we keep wanting to use that example, I mean, even for me, like I had some health issues this year and I was like, okay, I am willing to go down a medication route in order to feel better because the stress of not feeling better. I mean, it just sort of like compounds yeah, the issue. Sure. And so, um, which was impacting my life and impacting my partner's life, impacting my relationship with Sully. Cause I, I mean, just was not in a good place. And so I was very much willing to take the management solution, knowing it's a management solution. It's not truly healing. It is the steroid to, to calm the inflammation. Mm -hmm. It is the baby gate, or it is the white noise machine, or it is like closing the curtains, or it is, um, you know, feeding, an enrichment item or something like that. It, it is the management strategy to prevent the behavior from getting worse or provide the client with immediate relief. So we are both on board with that, but we also are very much on board that like, that's not addressing the root issue. Like if we remove that, then there's still things that, that can be done. And, you know, when Sarah mentioned my client that had a bullet bullet list of things that we wanted to, or they wanted to talk about. It's interesting how quickly as trainers, we can go to this place of like, okay, what are my quick fixes? What relief can I provide right now? Versus sort of like stepping back and saying like, okay, do you want a quick fix? Or do you want to actually modify this? Right? Because here are the benefits to modification right? Here are the benefits to you, to your dog, right? Long-term. And it's really then up to the client to tell us like, yeah, I don't really want to modify it. Okay. Well then you're going to be managing it mm -hmm. for X amount of maybe forever. And that, and, and for us to get really curious with the clients instead of making that assumption, because I mean, I cannot tell you how many trainers I have spoken to in the past few months that are feel this pressure to fix behavior issues as if we are like the plumber that came in to fix the leaky sink. And one, is that pressure even real? Yeah. Right. Like, are we just making that up? And it's interesting. I've been asking my clients this more and more and they're like, no, actually I really do want to put in the work. And I'm always surprised that I made an assumption that they wanted the quick fix. They wanted the management strategy. And actually what they did want is they're like, no, we want to work on this, that my dog is feeling better about these things. I don't want to just cue him to sit in the, in the presence of a trigger so that I quote unquote, look like I have him under control and he stops doing the, the problematic behavior. A lot of, a lot of my clients are like, no, I want him. I want this to be enjoyable for us. Mm -hmm. It's, I don't, I don't care what the, how he responds as long as like, we're both in a good place emotionally about it, which has been awesome. But I have had those clients more recently. Right. Um, but yeah, just asking the client, I think, and really laying out what that is going to look like from management strategy, pros and cons from a behavior modification strategy, pros and cons, and letting them come to that answer, um, with you instead of us just sort of like, ah, we're here for an hour and a half. And like, we've got to fix everything. Cause it's like not serving anyone. It's just really not. Yeah. So I want to bounce back to talking about 
immediate relief and management because I do mm-hmm. think that our job as professionals, our first job is to provide immediate yeah. relief, it's, right? Yeah. Just like a doctor. If I go in mm-hmm. and I am in pain, their first job is to relieve the pain. Mm-hmm. Then maybe we can talk about where the pain is coming from and what's going on, right? But their first job, especially if there's a safety concern, sure. Or like, you know, if yeah. we had a more, <laughs> um, a more serious example, if I go in and I'm bleeding, the first order of business is stop the bleeding. Yeah. The second order of business is find out why, right? Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, with dog training, and I think we should frame. I think we should utilize one behavior issue that that a lot of people have faced um to kind of frame our conversation because then we then we all kind of know what we're talking about so we'll talk about like dog directed issues Mm -hmm. barky lungy whether it's coming from a fearful or a friendly place the dog has kind of maladaptive behaviors when they see another dog yeah Mm -hmm. so this is something that basically if you have dogs you'll experience this at some point with one of your dogs I don't know yes. that many people who haven't experienced it. And I talk a lot on my podcast about the fact that our society creates it. Like every time you walk out that door, the world wants to make your dog a reactive mm-hmm. shit show. <laughs> that is, mm-hmm. That's what the world is trying to do. So um, I would love, like, I, it's almost like I want people to take defensive driving, but like defensive dog handling, like <laughs> defensive puppy raising, <laughs> like <laughs> learn how to help them not become that. <laughs> Well, and it's, it's funny because I have, there is a doodle in my neighborhood that she, she's probably 14 months old. She sits on her balcony and watches all the dogs. Doesn't make a peep. And I keep telling these, these owners, like, doodles breeder. you don't understand <laughs> what from? you have. <laughs> like, what is like, they're like, oh yeah, she's really good. I'm like, no, like no, she's, she's she's incredible. She's designed for this environment. Which, she's a unicorn. Good, you know, good pet dog breeders are trying to produce dogs that are designed not to become reactive in those environments. So I want to know where that doodle's from, and then I want to sing that breeder from the rooftops because that is what we need. But yeah, it is unusual. That's what people don't uh-huh. understand. Unusual. Is that that is a unicorn. That is a standout uh-huh. type of dog. A more normal type of dog is going to bark at every single dog that walks by. And, um, so if we're talking about that, our first job is that relief. So our first job is to talk to the owner about where they can walk the dog, where they're not going to experience this issue. And maybe if they've got a backyard, maybe we don't walk the dog for a little bit. Maybe we offer mm-hmm. enrichment in other ways. I don't think, thank goodness for backyards. And thank goodness like for backyards. When people have them, it is a lifesaver yeah. because when they don't, mm-hmm. now we're between a rock and a hard place. And especially with the dogs that are really afraid, right? I just hurt for those dogs that Mm -hmm. literally have to go into the snake pit to just relieve themselves every day, right? Like I I really, my heart breaks for those dogs. And that's where meds for sure, right? (laughs) Let's let's get our veterinary behavior team in here. Um, But our first order of business is offering relief. And to me though, I don't even think of that as the pill. I think of that as just... And now you're not going to be in that situation anymore. Like we're just removing Mm -hmm. you from context entirely. If we remove those antecedents, then that behavior doesn't exist anymore, right? Yeah. Um, I think that's a really important first part of what we do. 
Then I think though, and this is what I think is unfortunate, and this is what I think we need to talk about today. We as dog trainers as an industry, and I'm not even going to say this is only a certain subset of dog trainers. I think this is pretty much most of us then offer the pill of the, the DRA procedure, or if we're a different kind of trainer, the corrective device, right? So like um, a more reward-based trainer is going to then focus on a DRA procedure, which is a differential reinforcement of alternative behaviors procedure, which basically just means you get the dog to do something else and then you pay them for doing it. Right. Yeah. So it's basically, if I want to bark lunge and I'm going to teach you to sit and look at me instead, or, or look at that instead, right? Like I'm teaching you Mm -hmm. to do something else instead, and I'm probably rewarding you with food. A lot of people might combine rewarding with distance from the trigger and food, right? Or maybe Mm -hmm. just distance from the trigger. Like there's a lot of different ways that we can reinforce, but it's essentially training an alternative behavior. Yeah. It certainly can and i want to know if you experience this over time provide some of that healing because the dog is like oh i do have another choice mm-hmm. there is another mm-hmm. choice on the table i would agree with so that. i'm not saying that it's always kind of contrived and fake i think it is in the beginning for sure but to me i haven't worked with a lot of dogs who were who truly got more comfortable with other dogs by doing a DRA procedure. Have you? I think we have done in my experience. And I just called you yesterday about, Mm -hmm. about my client that I saw on the street walking with another dog and like literally popped a U-turn and like pulled over and scared them. But um, because I was so excited to see my client walking with another person. And I'm laughing so hard. Yeah, it was, it was quite incredible. Um, but we started with a DRA procedure in the sense that like, you know, obviously we're working with distance as, um, you know, keeping him under threshold, but we were marking and rewarding anytime he disengaged from looking at another Mm -hmm. dog and we were paying off with space and food as reinforcement. So in my reactive protocol, I like to mark and reinforce, um, the disengagement mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of, of, right. So I'm not actually telling the dog to look at anything. If the dog does you choose to look at anything, the behavior of disengaging behavior, the like, I don't, yeah. yeah. Oh, there's the trigger. And I don't really yeah. care. I'm going to like look away or sniff the ground or check in with you. Like, I, I don't care what it is. It's just disengagement from, so I'm marking and reinforcing that. And yes, I'm shaping that. And we had to do that in order for his behavior on leash in those conditions to get us to a place where he was less stressed about other dogs so that we then could do what you call remedial socialization, where we were are, are, are getting the dogs like his behavior on leash felt less conflicted, meaning he wasn't barking or staring or even lunging at other dogs, he was able to sort of see them and not really care. And we were able to close that distance time and time again. And then now, like I said, I, he's playing with other dogs and he is all like, was walking with a novel dog. Yeah. So I think there's a couple of really important things that are reasons for your success. Cause I think this dog is really healing. I don't think that we're throwing a pill at this dog at all. Mm-mm. which is why you had to flip a U-turn and, he's actually, and celebrate with of them. Pill, yeah. 
he, we had talked about medication because it was really hard for them to exist where they live mm. in Boulder in the beginning and they opted out yeah. and he just did the work. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And he had a backyard, so there's that, but go ahead. Right. And I, I think that, yeah, if he hadn't, if he didn't have a backyard, yeah, we probably like, would have had a different conversation, harder. Mm-hmm. but I think, you know, shaping those alternative responses, like shaping the the disengagement feels um, a little different to me than, yes, than cueing a contrived behavior that doesn't make sense to the dog in that moment, right? Uh-huh. Cueing sit, cueing eye contact. I think we uh-huh. all learned, um, or at least I, the first kind of reactivity protocol that I ever learned, which I think is probably true for us, like, industry-wide was Patricia McConnell's Feisty Fido protocol. And Feisty Fido Mm -hmm. is training the dog to offer eye contact instead of barking and lunging. Mm -hmm. And I think what an important, what important work she did. Oh my gosh. I mean, do not misunderstand me. I'm not trash talking (laughs) Dr. Patricia freaking McConnell. Okay. (laughs) She is like one of my heroes. But I think that the behavior of eye contact versus simply shaping you're you're actually doing more of a dro so like just actually selecting the other behaviors that were already Mm -hmm, at play mm -hmm, right mm -hmm. um and then i also think part of your success was the double reinforcement of distance plus food Mm-hmm. So you're actually providing some negative reinforcement, some relief from the trigger as well. And just as a caveat for folks that are listening that have dogs that like, they actually don't want the distance further away. Mm-hmm. They want the distance to be closed mm-hmm. because they are are really hypersocial. And then it's manifesting in this barking and lunging type behavior. Distance away would not be rewarding, right? D- like so distance closer where to the dog. It's so would. important to... ask what's the function right like what's the function of this Mm -hmm. behavior and then do our best to provide that same function i have Mm -hmm. absolutely worked i mean i've showed you videos of me working with like you know bouncy boisterous overexcited puppies that Mm -hmm. want to get to Mm -hmm. the other dog i think this should be in like every trainer's curriculum who works with puppies is teaching them to get access to the other dog when they're calm Mm mm-hmm because yeah you have to know like what is it actually that we're about here and if you want to get closer then I'm going to facilitate that when you offer certain behaviors right Mm -hmm. so these sessions though so when you set up these sessions and you like do the thing I like to call Mm -hmm. that therapy and you and I are both like no strangers to therapy so we can talk about (laughs) we can talk about the fact that you do stuff in therapy that is not real life it's therapy so that hopefully in real life you can draw upon that knowledge right so that Mm -hmm. hopefully when you want to be a raging whatever to your partner because they did you can right because they did whatever thing that whatever behavior pattern pattern that is problematic (laughs) for you but not for them You can hopefully draw from, you can go, okay, in therapy, I learned to say this statement instead of the statement that I want to say, right? And so like, if the therapy is working, (laughs) 
then you check yourself and you say the the, the I feel statement instead. Yeah. Instead of, <laughs> instead the, of the you are. Instead of the you are statement. <laughs> with dogs we are trying to help them use the i feel statement by putting them through this therapy Mm -hmm. right and when we're thinking about it like that then i think we're getting closer to the actual healing Mm -hmm. but it requires a few things it requires i think selecting the behaviors that are already happening in flow that are already good and building upon those mm-hmm. behaviors rather than manipulating um, them constantly into another behavior pattern. Mm-hmm. So there's that. And then um, it also requires safe repetitions. So like that's what therapy is for. Mm-hmm. Is that your partner is maybe they are there or maybe they're not, but like there's a facilitator and we are, this is not real life. Yeah, we're setting up the we conditions are, we for are, success. We, yes, we're arranging our antecedents so that everybody's going to be successful here. So it requires that. Mm-hmm. And then it requires respecting that function, right? Mm-hmm. And then it really requires this these moments that I want, I want a name for these moments um, where you let them choose. You aren't sure that they're going to make the right choice. But rather than intervening immediately and making their choices for them, you have these moments. They're like <laughs> baby bird jumping from the nest moments. It's like, it's like yeah. you are, you're giving them a plenty of opportunities to make that right choice. Yes. And you're not afraid. We do, we do need a name for that because it's honestly magical it too. Is. When the dog makes a choice, like, that is so magical to me. And it's not, I didn't cue it. I didn't manufacture it. Like you said, like, yeah, there's so much magic in that. And it's so exciting. And I was talking to, we were recording a podcast about control. Um, and we were talking about like how make it like when I say to my clients or I say to the dog, what a great choice. My clients are always like, choice like there's like (laughs) this sort of magic about them hearing that at the first time because they're not quite they don't they're not used to looking for that or they like they're not yeah they're not conditioned to look for that and so I'm like oh wow what a great choice and they're like oh yeah my dog is making good choices and so just that language is so magical it is and it, it feels like it's it feels like you've taken the training wheels off and you're mm-hmm. like still holding on to the back of the bike. Yes. Until yeah, you until sort of... you see that the kid is balancing the bike on their own. Mm-hmm. And then you let go of the bike. Yeah. And they don't even know they're doing it by themselves yet, right? Mm-hmm. And then you and mm-hmm. then, right. So it's it's like that. Without that, the dog don't the dogs don't actually get better. And I think too much of our training is interrupt reactions, damage control like make it stop right now and it there needs to be so much more room for those moments where you let go of the back of the bike yeah and you know what's so funny that last night after I came home I saw that dog I mean really popped a u-turn called Sarah was like oh my gosh this is so exciting I had a moment where I was like but Marissa you don't really teach your clients like touch or turn or Mm. 
like I had a moment where I'm like, why am I not teaching my clients to cue that? I'm usually doing find it to get out of, to get out of a situation or we're actually just moving past it. Mm -hmm. If like, for some reason we're going over a threshold, right. you have to have damage control techniques. They have to be there, but damage control cannot be the therapy. Exactly. And yeah. then we have our DRA procedure, right? Where I'm marking and reinforcing the disengagement. DRA, DRO. DRA? I think it's technically a DRO, but. Oh, that's right. It's other. DRO. It's also a DRI because it's incompatible, but. It's compatible. Yeah. It's, it's obnoxious. Let's just call it a differential what? reinforcement <laughs> procedure. <laughs> Seriously. It's the most obnoxious um, jargon in the world. Disengagement. It's ABA. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I think. I had this moment last night, even though I literally visual, like I literally got to experience success, like yeah. casual success. And my client was like, I just filmed a video to send to you. Like, he's so excited. And then you immediately were like ragging on yourself about what you did wrong. Well, not even what <laughs> I did wrong, but I was sort of like, I should really be teaching another thing that the client gets to cue. And I'm like, why it's right. working like yeah. it's working like why and our our clients often are using that like they get reinforced for prompting that mm -hmm. and they start cueing it all the time and they cue they it in situations that are too hard for the dog potentially yeah um i'm not saying any of those things are wrong and i'm not saying if you have that in your protocol that that's wrong but i do like the procedure that I have been doing more recently, which is just, is like, is allowing the client like a moment to pause, to see. And if we're out in the ether is what I call it. If the dog's out in the ether for a little bit too long, staring for a little bit too long, or we define what that looks like for each client and each dog, then we're going to interrupt it. Like that's when we interrupt, but we don't interrupt all the time because the dog's in the environment. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Because if you are, you're not, providing the opportunity for the therapy to work because the dog's not making that choice i want the dog to make the choice like oh there's a dog i don't care yeah and then i think that um so i think that a lot of our protocols are more focused on controlling and more focused on redirecting mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. i also think a lot of a lot of what you just talked about touch and u-turn and those kinds of trained behaviors those are all to me damage control behaviors all of that feels like management to me mm -hmm. none of that feels like the dog actually getting better to me and i feel that way about so many of the ways so many of the things that we're we are trying to address reactivity as an industry is that it's all just kind of okay we'll avoid the reaction and make the person feel better in the moment mm -hmm. that's a pill that's masking symptoms. What really getting better is, is looking for those moments where you let go of the back of the bike, seeing what the dog's choice is. And then if their choice is to react or they choose to, you know, start to lock on and stare and you, you choose to interrupt or whatever, rather than being like, you know, rather than really intervening hard on that or, or being like, Oh, no, this isn't working. Then you just shape your therapy plan for the next session based on that. Mm -hmm. You allow that to inform where you go next. And then I think that, you know, real healing, especially with this reactivity, has to do with the dog actually getting more comfortable with other dogs. They don't get more comfortable with other dogs by, by always 
ignoring them or always disengaging from them because true Mm -hmm. comfort and kind of normal behavior is the dogs can interact with other dogs and then kind of move on. Like they don't have to be best friends, but if this other dog, you know, approaches them in a neutral to friendly manner, Mm -hmm. what is normal is for them to also be neutral to friendly and then move on. Mm -hmm. And we just do them such a disservice when we don't focus on that because this is where they live. They live in a place with other dogs in it. Yeah. Um, I had a client who I, this is a case that was probably at least 10 years ago, around 10 years ago, I think. And I mm-hmm. literally lose sleep over this case still, just because that's the kind of person I am, but not, not really because it was that bad. <laughs> I know this case and I'm like, really? That's just the kind of person I am. Um, is... They they lived in um, the Wash Park area of Denver, so they lived in this super busy, super busy place near this big, beautiful park where everybody who spends the money to live in that area, they want to walk in that park. I mean, that's yeah. why you spend the money to live in that area. And so they got a dog. It's a retired couple. And one of them wants to walk this dog in Wash Park every single day. That's why they got the dog. They adopted a 10, 12-month-old cattle dog mix from a shelter. And the dog's barking lunging is all hell at other dogs. Yeah. And you know what? Today, Sarah is like, well, duh. Like, of course. And I'm so sad that these conversations aren't had before you sign those adoption papers. Like, I'm so sad that, like, this happened to these people and this dog. But... I was, I got so focused, so fixated on masking the dog's reactivity symptoms so that their desire and their goal of walking this dog in Wash Park every day could be satisfied as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. That the dog did not get better and they ultimately rehomed the dog. Mm -hmm. I don't think that was a bad outcome. I think the dog was in the wrong home from the beginning. But today, Sarah would have been like, okay, this is going to take a long time. And here's what it, and here's what it looks like. And also it may never happen. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of dogs, including like half of mine who, for whom walking in wash park every day would be very stressful and not fun. Yeah. I'm just thinking of like younger trainers. Cause I don't think I, have been able to say that until later on now mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, that's going to be a really hard goal. Like, I don't know if we're going to be able to achieve that. I think you know? we, how much pressure we, we feel so much pressure to be successful for them. And it's like, because we're new in this industry and we want to be successful for mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. And So I did, I mean, I did this huge program from them, for them. I did a combination day train and coaching and literally got the dog only to, you know, obviously the dog was a little better, but the dog was not able at that point to go be a nice, pleasant walking companion because she Mm -hmm. still required that constant management because all I was doing was masking the symptoms. The dog wasn't actually getting better. I taught her all of these different things. Look at that game. I used a combo of like um, 
we did a little control unleashed. We did some fat. We did, I mean, like I was doing all of these things. I was teaching her these management skills of U-turn and nose target and look at me. And like, we, I did all of these management games, all of these things. I threw all of these things at this dog. And what she really needed was to go be driven somewhere to have off leash exercise a couple times a week. Uh-huh. And then she needed some real therapy with other dogs. Yeah. Not to be walked to Wash Park. Right. And she was friendly. I think today, the trainer I am today would have had more success with that case, but it would have involved convincing those people to exercise mm-hmm. her somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they would have. Yeah. And that's okay. Right. And that has to be okay too. Yeah. And that's part of the conversation. That's, that's part like of the that conversation is part is, of the training plan. Yeah. You work with me. Mm-hmm. This is what it's going to look like. And it's going to involve this and this and this. It can't involve you put this special harness or this head halter or whatever mm-hmm. on the dog and ask it to look at you and walk past the other dog. Like, good luck. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm reminded of a case where um, this was so great because we had a bunch of trainers working on this case. So shout out to Jackie Johnson who worked with this client on separation-related behaviors. So he had separation anxiety or separation-related behaviors, and then um, he also was reactive to the sight of dogs. And it was pretty significant. And he was a very large dog, and the the pet parent was small. (laughs) And she was doing a really good job to try to manage him. And we got a better response. We found a place to actually do some training that, that was ideal where we would see where the dogs are coming from. Like we did have enough space and he could make different choices and, um, the pet parent felt safe practicing there, but I really felt like he, all of that got so much better when we started to do remedial socialization with another trainer. So this other trainer has Mm -hmm. this incredible helper dog, um, that she was like, yeah, I'm not that concerned about given his history. And we took all the safety precautions or whatnot. We introduced him to her and that went really well. And then we wound up looping in a trainer here that has a facility. Mm -hmm. Um, and he now like, he started off going to their facility during the day for the separation related, um, behaviors because the owner needed a break. And then he started like slowly making friends there. And I, I, I feel like his reactivity is so much better. It like, we, we, we sort of got past a hump because we were able to integrate dogs back into his life. And like the joy for both him and the pet parent, right. Mm-hmm. So that it wasn't just like, okay, we now just have to ha- walk this pity away from all other dogs always. Yeah. Right. Like it, it, And it was, you know, really did take a village. Like there was four different businesses working together to support this dog. So I do want to like point that out for, you know, trainers that might be listening is that like Sully is not a helper dog. And I have mixed feelings about helper dogs too, because I want to make sure that like their emotional health Mm -hmm. is, Mm -hmm. is first and foremost. Right. Um, yeah, I needed to reach out. I mean, I've worked with the humane society. We have used, um, 
shelter dogs when those dogs are um, like have a really good history and we've opted out of doing intros because shelter dogs did not want to like we're always taking into consideration both dogs emotional health when we're doing this but being able to connect with other people in your area I think is critical if you're wanting to you know maneuver towards getting that dog actually in contact with another dog to see whether or not that's the right thing for them. Yeah. And I think the reason that's so important to talk about is because I think probably trainers are listening to this and they're going, okay, great. All I have access to is damage control. Yep. Because I don't have access to setups. I don't have whatever. And truthfully, or I live in a, a city with no backyard, right? Like all sure. these things, right? And truly the answer is that you always have access to what it is that you need, but it requires, sometimes it requires creativity. Sometimes it requires the village of helpers. Mm-hmm. But if you know what the dog really needs, but you're still feeling, con- you're still feeling pressured to mask symptoms instead, don't. Your clients will be happier if you say, this is what I think we need to do to get this dog truly better and truly feeling better. And then you're just, you're doing bigger work. Like, you know, so many people consider a reactivity case like done, resolved, if the person can successfully redirect the dog. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's a dangerous way of thinking for us. Because now we've got a person who still has to redirect every single time that happens. Mm-hmm. And that's not sustainable. Yeah. For most people, that's not sustainable. They just stop yeah. walking the dog. They just yeah, stop, or like, they they stop, just, they stop bringing the treats. Or, or, or they b- bring out bigger guns. They get a different trainer who puts uh-huh. different equipment on the dog. Mm-hmm. And rather than redirecting, they're correcting. Yeah. Right. And good trainers who, and when I, and I talk about this all the time, I don't think that there's like, I don't think the divide in dog training is balanced and force-free. Like, I don't think that's the two sides. I think the two sides are the people who are doing a damn good job and people who just are not. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the people doing a damn good job are mixed method trainers. And I don't, I'm fine with it. You know, I haven't used a prong collar in 12 years not because I think that they're evil and should all be like melted into a, I don't know, a statue of a dog. I don't know. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> but just because I haven't needed one in 12 years. Mm-hmm. And I think that has to do with personal growth and skill, right? But basically, if you're coming from a place of let's get this dog truly comfortable, truly relaxed, truly okay with its environment, then you are going to be coming at it from a functional place where you are utilizing that functional reinforcer wherever possible and from a place of empowering this person to let go of the back of the bike. And those are just, you know, that's true for all behavior problems, I think. Mm -hmm. And I also think it's not a cop-out to just manage for the rest of your life if management is sustainable. Like putting locks on cabinets so that your dog that opens cabinets and eats everything itchy um can't do that (laughs) that's management that's not training 
Yeah. And like no shame in management, as long as we understand its limitations, like what I was trying to say in the beginning of the podcast, right? There are limitations to it. And I think, thank you for using the word sustainable because I just recently received an email from my client and she's like, okay, the, all these things that we have been doing are working. And some of these things need to stay. Mm. And I'm like, how is like, is that sustainable? Like I'm Mm -hmm. talking about like for the next two years that you're giving Mm -hmm. this dog morning exercise or morning enrichment. Right. And and we'll see. Right. Um, Because I think people are like, okay, great. Wow. We got immediate relief. And then it like, you, you get, you experience a, a better way of being with your dog. And then the, the actual cause of why that is better like the management strategy, the enrichment, the exercise, it then falls by the wayside because it's not that big of a problem anymore. You're like, we can go a few days without it. And then we're back to square one, right? So asking, knowing what needs to stay forever and what needs to, um, and you could be wrong about that, but like setting the client up to know, hey, you know, this might be a thing where, you know, I'm thinking about my inter-household aggression cases, like, we might never have these dogs in the same room together. And I have one client that like, that's the case and they've opted into that life. Right. So, and I think that's true for more and more. When I think of behavior modification, I think of evidence-based therapies for humans in the field of psychology. Mm -hmm. And the reason I think that way is my own my own experiences with mental health, but also because truly the human mental health field is more advanced, has a lot more money in the research bank, has, I mean, we just have more information in that regard. And we're all still like a mess. Yeah. A mess. Uh, well, <laughs> here, here in the good old US of A, we can't actually have access to those amazing yeah. things. So that's very true. Um, <laughs> that's probably part of it but um just when I look at like all of these evidence-based therapies for a person with Mm -hmm. like one thing okay so like PTSD there's a lot of different evidence-based therapies for PTSD Mm -hmm. when I look at like dog-directed reactivity we don't have like well here's all of these evidence-based therapies we don't what we have yeah, is you're right. we have just like we have procedures we have procedures but, that we're trying to use that we're trying to make work for us as best as we can right uh-huh. so when i look at you know like one of the therapies one of the evidence-based therapies that i've personally undergone that was a big fat failure for me is cbt cognitive behavioral therapy uh-huh. when i was undergoing it and it was not working for me and i also hated it and felt very resistant to it and felt straight up gaslit by it to be honest I thought I was broken because this is an evidence-based therapy oh interesting and I think wait why 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 was it why was it not great for you I mean that's another that's probably a a long conversation (laughs) to have um and you're like because because the premise of CBT is that you challenge your own thoughts. So the premise mm-hmm. of CBT is you're going, this is terrible. And you are prompted to then say, is it, is it actually terrible? And when I went underwent, yeah. Oh, I was going to say, it doesn't leave space to be like, 
to be okay with I'm there's, feeling terrible right absolutely. now. Absolutely. There's no yeah. like there's no um sitting with the feeling. It's all challenging. Yeah. It's all challenging yeah. the feeling. Yeah. And um the reason that I went underwent it is because it is an evidence-based therapy and therefore will be paid for by insurance. Whereas like talk therapy, not paid for by insurance, um, not for as long. Uh-huh. And also, I mean, none of it was actually paid for. Like it was still a huge copay every single time, but whatever. That's, that's just kind of where I was sent Yeah. via the insurance, whatever. Uh-huh. And I was sent there because I was experiencing a very serious, the worst clinical depression of my adult life, which was a hundred percent due to an actual circumstance I was truly in. Uh So if you're asking me to challenge, is this terrible? Yeah, it actually effing is terrible. So that's just where I'm going to continue to sit. Right. So it's kind of like, um, dog sees another dog dog is terrified of the other dog. And you're going, honey, sit and look at me. And the dog is like, are you kidding me? That guy's going to kill us. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? The sitting behavior kills me. It kills me every time. (laughs) Or or whatever, like fill in the blank, honestly, contrived redirection behavior that that, that is not natural for the dog. So what I I guess I'm going on this like long tangent about evidence-based therapies to say that like, not just because something is kind of a protocol and a procedure that somebody mm-hmm. says works for them does not mean you're going to carry it out right. does not mean it's right for the situation. does not mean that it's right for this client, this dog, whatever. Mm-hmm. I wasn't broken. CBT was the wrong choice for me. Mm-hmm. And CBT is the right choice for a lot of other people. A lot of other people, yeah. For instance, you know, as well as like the Feisty Fido procedure was so was and is so widespread because of the relief that it offered mm-hmm. enough dogs and people. Right. Yeah. And so I think none of it is inherently kind of wrong or bad, but we always should have our eye on the prize and the prize should be that the dog is actually comfortable and you don't have to constantly intervene on them. Yeah. Right. Because number one, people can't do that forever. But also number two, because it's not fair to this dog to live in this life where it's constantly being intervened upon because managing another species behavior, altering it, manipulating it is inherently invasive, even if you're doing it nicely. Yep. And it's, um, it's exhausting too. Like it's exhausting for our clients. Like it's exhausting for the dogs. It's exhausting for us really to be doing that. It's interesting. I had somebody that is not a trainer look at my packages and say, huh, five sessions. Have you really ever, have you really ever like supported a client in five sessions? She's like, I feel like this is like false advertising. And I was like, (laughs) amazing point. Like you're absolutely right. Like we, and I still have those packages and I say to my clients, we can start here. And, um, I had a puppy client yesterday that was like, okay, so this is the beginning of a long relationship. And I'm like, Oh, okay, great. Like, I loved that he had that perspective going in. But I thought that was really interesting. Like if you're called as a private trainer for, or if you are calling a private trainer, because you're like, yeah, none of the classes seem to cut 
Like mm-hmm. none of the classes seem to like cover what I'm experiencing. And like, this has been going on for quite some time. And we've got a laundry list of things like to expect this to be modified in a few sessions is not helpful for anyone. Um, there's so much that goes into this. So whether you're a trainer listening or a client listening right now, right. That like, there is a lot that if, if you want to arrive to the place, like Sarah is saying of like true healing and you want to get to the root issue and we want to give your dog skills to engage and choose these behaviors on their own, instead of you interrupting all the time, like this is going to take a while and it's worth it. Like I, mm. I cannot tell you to see my client yesterday. Like I'm so happy I saw him right before this podcast because we started working together in like it, we're probably coming up on a year, but we stopped working together a few months ago. And so he's just walking on the street casually. I don't even think he had his treat bag on and like just met, and he would wear his treat pouch all the time. I was like super, super proud of him, but he's just walking down the street with another dog and another dude. Like I was, it's worth it. Right. Especially cause his dog's life. He's probably like four. So now we're going on like many, many years where he could potentially have dog friends instead of just like avoid, avoid, avoid. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I look definitely at Iggy, worth it. Iggy's life. Like we, I used to hike with her and just be terrified to run into another dog because she would just go crazy barking and lunging and freaking out. And it was truly from a place of extreme fear. Mm-hmm. And I just used to dread, like I had so I had so much anxiety yeah. on walks with her that, that some, somebody's Labrador would come bumbling over to say hello and she would be petrified. And I mean, big displays and really all the teeth bared and like spit flying. And I mean, like yeah. it was bad and she, I did everything. I actually learned all of these protocols to try to help her. Mm-hmm. And I would get a little bit of success and then it would plateau always because none of it was, and actually you got this girlfriend, you can interact with other dogs you are going to be okay. Mm -hmm. So, um, she eventually, you know, now her life is so much better than it would have been if, if she hadn't undergone some remedial socialization and learned that she's actually going to be okay. She can actually interact with other dogs fine. And we'll Mm -hmm. still see another dog sometimes. And she'll look at me with that look of like fear a little bit. Mm -hmm. And she'll be like, is this okay? Are you sure? And what's beautiful is I can, I can now tell her, yes, it's okay. That dog's Mm going to be fine. Mm -hmm. And she can just kind of go, okay haven't stood me wrong before so I guess you're right and then we can approach it say hi move on Mm -hmm. a huge help to her has been Felix because he is dog social and he's very forward about it he's very like hello how are you uh who are you what are you about every time we see another dog and so she was able to for so long just kind of hang back with me while Mm -hmm. Felix was like hello how are you today and um I was able to just start to breathe yeah. and start to relax and start to cue to her that we were safe. And 
you've seen her now. I mean, she's the most dog savvy, most incredible um, dog that that I have now in my house. Like she's way more savvy than Felix. Felix is just friendlier than her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so real healing started to happen with with remedial socialization, and it didn't happen before then. Mm-hmm. And we did all the things, like you name it. I learned it, I carried it out, and we only ever got to a certain point. Yeah. So certainly she got to a point where she could demo for me in my classes and go to agility trials, and like that was all fine. But walking on a trail and another dog shows up, not fine. And that's, I needed that to be fine for our lives together to be good. Yeah. And I think, you know, as a, as a caveat too, like there are some, this is not to get to your dog to the place where like they are friendly with everyone or they don't have right. a reaction. Right. It is like, she's certainly not. She, yeah. Not it's like, like there is, I really appreciate when you and Lisa have talked to me about like that neutral is a place, right? Like neutral yeah. versus positive, like positive, neutral, and negative. Right. A lot of times we are, we got to get to neutral first before we even get to like, I want to play with a bunch of other dogs. Right. So, um, I think that that's really important to be talking about with our clients as well is that like, if we have a negative association, let's just get this dog to neutral and going back to my client about yesterday, I have this great video where he is just watching the shelter dog come into the yard and like disengaging. I'm marking and reinforcing he's laying down, he's watching. And then he gets up and he goes towards the exit. And I'm like, okay, great. Like you do not want to meet this dog, right? Like Like, we're we're not going to push that. Right. And so I think, well, one, I'm listening to the choices he's making and not pushing him over threshold, like not, not uh like listening that if he wants to uh, he's not opting into this particular interaction like i'm okay i'm okay with that um the other dog had a lot of boisterous energy for him and it was like he was he basically said no and i'm like no problem we don't need you to meet him right now um but it is normal for dogs not to want to be playful or friends with everyone that they meet so if neutral is okay mm-hmm. like like if, if you get neutral, that's what I want to say. Like, that's okay. Like that's definitely okay. And there it's are like more beyond. Okay. It's, it's yeah. like, it's like the ideal actually. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of our procedures, like you could attempt to, you know, one thing that I learned early on that I disagree with now mm-hmm. is that if you feel like the dog is coming from a place of fear, you should start with a counter conditioning procedure. So dog, other dog shows up and you start feeding them. Right. So, and the other dog shows up, you start feeding the other dog leaves and you stop feeding. And I don't want to get into everything that's wrong with that right now. But what's fascinating to me is that that's not a procedure that exists in human psychology. So oh gosh, you've talked to me about this. Right? Right. So if yeah. I am afraid of spiders, which I am, and you show me a tarantula and then you give me, I don't know, a dollar, a sip of whiskey, I don't know, whatever <laughs> I'm feeling that day. Um, and you, if you do that repeatedly, you, I'm just going to guess, obviously this is not a procedure I've undergone, 
But if somebody has like a contained pet tarantula and a bottle of really nice whiskey and wants to come over and try it, like I'm game. But um, <laughs> but I'm just going to wager to guess that doing that is not going to help me not jump out of my skin when the wolf spider's crawling up the bathroom wall when I'm trying to brush my teeth, which was last night. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I'm just going to wager to guess that that's not actually going to change anything. And so <laughs> I'm not saying, you know, if you are utilizing counter conditioning and you feel like that's working for you, I am not going, I'm not here to take that from you. Yeah. But I do think that that in particular is a procedure that's really worth being put under a magnifying glass. Yeah. Because I think that it reduces what's going on and I think that it I think it really is kind of a symptom masking sort of procedure mm -hmm. like if the dog if the other dog shows up and then you are feeding until the other dog is gone and you're doing that forever until you you know because you're trying to see that the dog's feelings are changing and they're not or you know, and this is my criticism of it. The dog starts to look at you wanting food when they see another dog. Great. You've actually trained in operant behavior. Go with it. Yeah. <laughs> Focus yeah, 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 yeah. on it and see what you can do. But I don't think that you have actually necessarily reduced fear. You've just taught them under these conditions. When another dog shows up, the thing I want you to do is eat this food. Mm -hmm. And that will work out for you and you will be safe under the conditions of your pet tarantula in a jar that definitely can't get me and whatever it is that you're counter conditioning with the glass of whiskey, I'm probably going to start to relax. Mm -hmm. um, but there are limitations to what a procedure that looks like that can do. The reason that it's not working and if something you're doing isn't working, it's because you've lost sight of the function. You've lost sight of why these behaviors are really here. Mm -hmm. If I actually get the, to the point with a counter conditioning procedure where the dog disengages from the other dog and looks to looks at me to eat the whatever, mm -hmm. then I have effectively changed. Like I have altered the motivating operations at play. Now, when the dog sees another dog, its motivation for its behavior is my food. And is that a great thing? And can that be a great segue into some of your therapy? A hundred percent. Yes. Yes, it can, but it can't stop there and it's not going to stand alone. And there's a lot of dogs where that switch is not going to happen. Mm -hmm. And it depends on how important to them the original function was. So, you know, and I, I talk about this as being the kind of like the transfer of the function. Like if, if you make the function something else, now you have control. It's kind of like if you've ever told somebody to throw food at their dog that runs to the front window and barks. So if your dog runs to the front window and barks at the mailman or whatever, um, a procedure that I've used forever is just throw a scatter of food at them. They'll disengage from the window and they'll start eating the food. And the question that everybody always gets is, aren't you rewarding the barking, mm -hmm. right? And what I say is, if I am, if I'm truly reinforcing the barking with my food, then you will see the behavior start to change. The dog yeah. will start to bark at the window and then look at you for the food. And if that happens, now you have control of the behavior when you didn't have control over it in the first place because you didn't have control over the consequence, over the outcome.
Mm-hmm. If you can switch the consequence for the behavior to something that you can control, now you can do anything. Sky's the limit. And I think that the reason that people push counterconditioning still is because that's actually what they're achieving if they're having success. Yep. And then their DRA procedure is more successful mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of it. So I think that <laughs> very long-winded way of saying, I think that we just need to be a little bit more aware of what we're doing and understand that if you feel like the protocol or the procedure that you're doing isn't working, maybe, you know, maybe you are doing it wrong, but maybe it doesn't, maybe it's just not right for you and your clients. Mm-hmm. Or maybe if you're listening to this and you're not, the, and you are the client and you've been trying to do a thing with a trainer for a long time and you don't like the results and you're not feeling like it's getting better, you should approach them about it, right? Like you should say, yes. what can I expect here? And because we as trainers show up and start to symptom mask to try to honestly keep our clients happy and feel like we're having some level of success right away because real healing takes a long time. Yeah. And that's just not how training is talked about in our society. It's right? not like how it's training a, is a six week class. Yes. And it's not how it's talked about in our industry. Like the, how many trainers are like, okay, here's my protocol for this. And then I want to sit them down and I want to say, what are the actual results in the end? Mm-hmm. Like we recorded that whole recipes podcast with Lisa for my, for Cog Dog Radio, because she texted both of us and said, hey, is, you know, ad hoc feeding when there are fireworks or whatever, like is, is that actually working? Protocol. Yeah. <laughs> is, or, for example, um, is that actually working for anybody? Like, does that work for you? It's like and a was thing like, no. that we were told to do. Yeah, exactly. Yes, it's a thing we were told to do. And so yeah. just always questioning is this actually working or not? Rather than reading the book or whatever and being like, well, it's in a book. It's probably right. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. probably true. I'm probably doing it wrong. Like the CBT manuals, like the CBT workbooks that are just collecting dust on the shelf because I was like, what is this? Why? Why isn't this working? And also, (laughs) does this actually work for anyone? (laughs) Is kind of how I was feeling. So always questioning it and, and, recognizing when you're symptom masking, I think, Mm -hmm. rather than actually helping anybody get better is important. Yeah. Yes, definitely recognizing it. Because to go back to the beginning, if that's what your client wants at this point, or if that's what, like, if we need to provide relief, like, know that you're doing that and know that, like, there are limitations to that. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for chatting with me about this topic. Such a great conversation. Thank you. Are you on Patreon yet? It's where you can get all the extras for this podcast. The original tier over there still exists where the dog people of the internet provide the questions for the episodes and guide the content of the podcast. But there's a new tier. You can become a Cog Dog Arena and get access to my training sessions with my own dogs. So that includes agility, obedience, behavior, and stuff with my brand new puppy, Rhea, live guest chats, and more. So go to patreon.com slash cogdogradio. The link is in the show notes. You don't want to miss out.